Kids present Comic Con on the Fringe. And here's your host, Angus. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening to this special, special episode of the Kids Present Comic Con on the Fringe. This is Angus. And I'll be taking you on a virtual spin around Comic-Con here in San Diego, but from the outside. Yes, folks, I'm actually here in San Diego, based here, and I've got to tell you, it is very difficult gaining entree into Comic-Con itself. However, due to the fact that this was the 50-year celebration of Comic-Con, And due to the enormous size that Comic-Con has gotten to now, there are so many activities that complement all that is going on at the convention center, but is fantastic for a comics fan to experience. So, let's delve into some of the goings-on of this particular Comic-Con and some of the news stories that have come out of this particular con, and I will take you on a virtual tour of the Batman experience, 80-year celebration of Batman that happened at the Comic-Con Museum with the induction, the inaugural induction of the first comic book character into the Comic-Con Museum, Hall of Fame, that being Batman. So first, let's lead off with some of the stories coming out of this session of Comic-Con. And of the big two, Marvel was the one that showed up this year. If you'll recall, last year, Marvel did not have a Hall H presentation. They chose to sit that one out and gave DC the full-blown spotlight. DC at the time was touting Aquaman, was running hot with respect to Wonder Woman having come out and been a great success, and DC was adding more and more streaming content onto their DC Universe app. DC got the spotlight last year. This year, it was all Marvel. So last night, I should say late afternoon last night, DC was... Nowhere to be found. Marvel was hall in Hall H, and they went crazy with the announcement of no less than ten separate offerings coming to you from Marvel Studios. Now, here's the big kicker: these all relate to the next phase of the MCU. However, Five of these are shows that will be debuting on the Disney Plus streaming service later this fall. And five others were actual movies that were given release dates by Marvel. So let's delve into that content that is coming our way. First up is the first movie, Solo. But of course, you have seen her for the past decade on the screen, that being Black Widow. Black Widow will be coming our way, folks, next May of 2020. And this is essentially a 
pre-Avengers Black Widow focused story. Gritty, spy action, looking a lot in the winter soldier vein, espionage, good stuff. Then Marvel turned its attention towards the Eternals. And the Eternals will be starring Richard Madden as Icarus, Kamal Kanjanari as Kinjo, Lauren Ridloff as Makari, Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos, Selma Hayek as Ajak, Leah McHugh as Sprite, Don Lee as Gilgamesh, and Angelina Jolie as Thena. This will be directed by Chloe Zhao and will come to theaters in November of 2020. After that, the panel focused in on Disney Plus and Marvel Studios television streaming and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series was profiled. Anthony Mackie comes back as Falcon, Sebastian Stan as the Winter Soldier. They came on stage and they were greeted by fans. They revealed that Daniel Bruhl will return as the villain Baron Zemo. This will begin streaming on Disney Plus in the fall of 2020. After that, we turned our attention back to the big screen and Marvel Studios' Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, starring Simu Liu in the title role. Appearing alongside Liu will be Aquafina in an undisclosed role, and Tony Leung as the real Mandarin. Yes, folks, the real Mandarin is coming to the big screen. If you all felt a little cheated by the Iron Man 3 appearance of the Ben Kingsley actor playing the Mandarin, and we're like, oh my gosh, what happened to one of the most iconic villains within the Marvel Universe? You won't be disappointed any longer. Tony Leong will be bringing that to the screen in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That one will be directed by Destin Daniel Cretton and in theaters on February 12th, 2021. Then they ping-pong back over, and this was essentially the back and forth that this particular presentation had to Marvel Studios' WandaVision, an original series starring Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, reprising their MCU roles as Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, and Vision. Co-starring with them will be Tayona Paris, whom Kevin Foggy revealed would be playing the adult Monica Rambeau, who was introduced as a child in Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel, Marvel Studios' WandaVision will arrive on Disney Plus in the spring of 2021. Then, they did us a trick and stayed with Disney Plus to introduce Disney Plus and Marvel Studios' Loki, an original series starring Tom Hiddleston, which the god of mischief himself will be causing even more trouble, and that will be starting in the spring of 2021. Then... Back to the big screen. And I'm excited about this one, folks. This is my favorite comic book character. Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yes, folks, that's the flavor here of Phase 4, the multiverse. This, of course, will be starring 
Benedict Cumberbatch coming back as Dr. Stephen Strange, with Scott Dickerson returning as the director. But joining Dr. Strange this time around will be the Scarlet Witch, played by Elizabeth Olsen. In another twist, the events of Dr. Strange in the Multiverse of Madness will connect with the Disney Plus series, Marvel Studios' WandaVision. Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange, in the Multiverse of Madness, will cast its spell in theaters May 7th, 2021. From there, we move to something which is a big curveball for folks who are casual fans of just the movies and love the Marvel Studio movies and maybe perhaps don't have a strong comics background. But here in Kirby's Kids, I know some of you kids will pick up on this real quick. The legacy of the What If comic series will be adapted for the screen, but this time, the small screen. This first animated series in the MCU will star Jeffrey Wright as the voice of The Watcher. Many actors across the MCU will reprise their roles as voice talent. What If will present alternate realities in the Marvel Universe that are set to warp your world in the summer of 2021, again, exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Another character from the MCU will also be joining Disney+. Plus. Hawkeye is getting his own series, and that will be starring Jeremy Renner, who joined Kevin Foggy on stage and shared details about the show. And they'll introduce Kate Bishop, and she's hitting her mark in Marvel Comics and Marvel Studios Hawkeye. And that will again be hitting Disney Plus in the fall of 2021. It was also revealed that Thor was coming back into the MCU. Natalie Portman is coming back for Marvel Studios' Thor Love and Thunder, joining Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson Tika Watiti returns as the director. Yes, folks, the director of Ragnarok. And he's confirmed that Jane Foster will become the mighty Thor, goddess of thunder. Marvel Studios' Thor, Love and Thunder, will arrive in theaters November 5th, 2021. Then, when we were rolling into all of this, I had said before, the first offering that we're going to get from Marvel would be the Black Widow film. They then, after that, went back and brought on stage Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson, reprising that role. She'll be joined by David Harbour as Alexi, the Red Guardian, Florence Pugh as Yelena, and O.T. Fabinelli as Mason, and Rachel Weitz as Melina. Kate Shortland is directing this one. And again, this is coming to theaters May 1st, 2020. Black Widow. And to complete their Hall H presentation, Marvel dropped a bombshell. This one was met with incredible applause. That being Blade. Blade is back. But folks, Wesley Snipes is not reprising the role. Age is a factor here. However, if Marvel was to hit a home run in casting, 
not only did they hit a home run, in my humble opinion, they launched a grand slam out of the park. They introduced Mahershala Ali as Blade. And that Blade would be coming to theaters most likely at the tail end of 2021, beginning of 2022. This is fantastic. Bringing Blade in, Marvel Studios recognizing, okay, Blade in the 90s started to give us credibility that we could do a superhero film. On top of that, you've now had the success of Deadpool and also the success of other R-rated superhero films. I am not going to speculate and say that this will be R-rated. However, I cannot help but think, based on the graphic violence within the comic, and if you're being true to the character, that this one will have a horror R-rated edge to it. Blade will also be coming our way. Now, there was a noted absence of mentioning of other anchoring franchises within the MCU. This was purposeful. I firmly believe that Kevin Foggy is holding back to allow that haul and all of the hype coming out of Comic-Con to get the fan base excited. They held back in announcing Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which we know is under development, if not in preliminary production, with James Gunn back at the helm. Also not mentioned was Captain Marvel. We know another Captain Marvel film is being developed. No doubt about it, based on the box office alone from the movie that we saw this year. In addition to that, we also are aware that there are several other characters being looked at, which have now just been reacquired by Disney to do with as they please. Those being notably Fantastic Four and the entire Fantastic Four universe and X-Men and the entire X-Men universe. It will be very interesting to see how those franchises then are integrated into this Phase 4 of the MCU. As we know, we'll be focusing in on the multiverse and taking the action off this world or and or having some of that action cosmically finding its way back to earth and vice versa those of you who saw spider-man 2 far from home will recall the end credit scenes the cut scenes which definitely lead us in that direction so it was a huge impact announcement wise for marvel at this particular Comic-Con. Now, that does not mean that DC was without presence or announcements of note. Some of the announcements of note are over on the DC Universe streaming app and service, they have renewed Doom Patrol. Thank goodness they have renewed Doom Patrol. It is a fantastic series. I will be doing a full-blown review of Season 1 of Doom Patrol when we read Doom Patrol in November coming up this year. In addition to the Doom Patrol announcement, they also announced Season 2 of Teen Titans 
is wrapped up and will be finding its way onto the streaming service very shortly. In addition, there is other planning taking place with regards to additional streaming options, both animated and live action, over on the DC Universe app. And they are readying productions to fill the new streaming service that Warner Brothers has under development. Warner Brothers made their way into other areas of the con, essentially hooking up with streaming services where they already had properties lined up, basically fulfilling their legacy obligations to those while they are building their own app and bolstering up what the DC Universe app streaming offerings will be moving forward. Interesting thing that they have not addressed is that apparently the streams of Swamp Thing have been strong and have also elicited a passionate fan support for that series. I have to say, it keeps getting better from episode to episode to episode, so I hope there is a way for DC and Warner Brothers to bring Swamp Thing back onto the DC Universe streaming app. I know it was an expensive production. It looks like it's an expensive production. It looks so far that it's all cinema quality with respect to not only special effects, but shooting and the quality of the acting is absolutely superb. Now, another piece of information and buzz around Comic-Con this week was the Netflix deal with DC to acquire Sandman, Neil Gaiman's Sandman universe, Dream, Death, all of the characters will be coming to the small screen, the streaming screen of Netflix. Now, why in the world did DC do this? Why didn't they hold back DC Vertigo and put this either on DC Universe or the upcoming Warner Brothers app? Very simple, money. (laughs) They just got done signing Bad Robot, which is J.J. Abrams' company, to a half a billion dollar deal for doing content, projects, directing, producing, you name it. They also have been locking up other talents, and quite frankly, they needed a payday. And Netflix right now, due to them losing legacy intellectual property and content, from Disney and other sources who are branching out and providing their own streaming services, wants to produce as much original content as possible to retain viewership. So there you go, folks. Purely dollars and cents. Hopefully, based on the cost of that deal over Netflix for Sandman and looking at who's all involved with that project, with Neil Gaiman taking a very, very, very involved role in that. I am very optimistic that we're going to get a high-quality streaming show once that's finally brought to Netflix. Warners slash DC 
also took part on some HBO panels. Reason being, Watchmen. Watchmen coming over to HBO, essentially chronicling what happened with these characters and picking up, I think, several years down the road from the original series. This one will be an interesting one. Just based on the writer's room alone and how they handle all the characters, I will be waiting on edge to see what the initial responses are from this particular project. I'm optimistic because it's HBO. They tend to do good work. If their work with Todd McFarlane back in the 90s was any indication, mind you, I know that was an animated series, not a live action, and we're talking live action here. I am hopeful that HBO will do this one justice. And again, that was another conscious decision by Warners. Why didn't they wait for their own streaming app or to put this on DC Universe? Because the payday. They needed the payday in order to help fund their own operations and their own projects. So I get it. And HBO, just like Netflix, is looking for more original content. And based on how these things are structured, we'll see when the licensing runs out and where the studio retains some sort of ownership of these properties if they're ever able to eventually bring them over to their own streaming services over time. Don't know if that's going to be the case or not. I think HBO will most likely make it an original just like Netflix too and therefore hold on to those things. Just like you're never going to see folks, I shouldn't say never, but it would be highly unlikely that you would ever see any of the Marvel Netflix series like Daredevil, Iron Fist, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Defenders, come over to Disney+. Plus. Those are Netflix originals that were done by Netflix with Marvel Studios. I believe that legacy IP will remain over there unless they negotiate something else. So anyhow, those were the big announcements as it related to the well-known characters mainstream comic book characters and their adaptations to both the big and small screen coming out of Comic-Con this year. And again, these are just headlines. There are other stories and this is no way all inclusive. And this is more of a quick gorilla report for you just to provide you some content and get you up to date. And I'll also be posting some of the press coverage from Comic-Con over into our MeWe community so please, if you're interested in receiving content and updates, things that I see or any of the other kids, such as Doc, JJ, or Ray, please join us. Go over to MeWe, put in Kirby's Kids, join the community. Please partake in our comic book character of the month reads, our graphic novel of the month reads, and all of the ongoing discussions that we have on subjects just like this. Over on the award side of the house, because Comic-Con is the big daddy of comic book conventions, which has now essentially evolved into a, an entertainment convention. I, there's no two ways about it, folks. I mean, I'm here in San Diego, and it's very challenging just getting a badge in there. And frankly, it's more about entertainment in general, and yes... There are writers and artists there, comic book luminaries who you can walk up to, shake their hand at a signing, get in line, see them on a panel. So don't get me wrong. The roots 
of Comic-Con are still there. You just have to look and weave your way through to find it. So, for instance, Tom McFarlane was there doing signings this year. He was very much a part of the Batman celebration, the 80th anniversary of Batman, because McFarlane Toys has gotten licensing from DC to help develop some of the sculpts for some of the minis and figures to commemorate that, that evolution of Batman over its, its 80 years. Others there, I know Jim Lee was down here for a period of time. You had Ben Affleck was down here. Now, mind you, he was pitching other other events and, and projects that he's doing. But again, he played Batman. So you had a nice presence of folks here surrounding comic books and comic book characters. But they were also here for other things. I mean, Game of Thrones had a panel here at Comic-Con. That's great. They were there to do their victory lap because their series wrapped up. But also, I'm sure, to address the new show that will be coming on HBO. Essentially, I believe it's almost like a thousand years prior to everything that happened in Westeros or something like that. So they were there. They had their panel so you have fantasy mixing with sci-fi. Oh, another thing, Picard. Yes, folks, if you're a Trekkie, get excited. There was a Picard panel there. Patrick Stewart, you have Data coming back, and others from the original runs of Next Generation. Very, very excited. Trekkies were excited. Good stuff coming. There surprisingly wasn't a whole heck of a lot of news over on the Star Wars front. I think Disney made a conscious decision to let Marvel have that spotlight and really not a whole heck of a lot coming out there because I think they're pretty much going to let this December speak for itself as they wind up the Skywalker saga with Episode Nine. Over on the Comics Awards side of the house, the Eisner Awards are given out every year at San Diego Comic-Con. And I just wanted to touch on a couple of the winners so for those who are interested in the best and the brightest, at least from a recognition standpoint of stuff that's being produced today, you can go seek out some of these comics from some of these great writers and very talented artists and illustrators. Tom King's Batman was recognized in several categories, and Tom King himself won Writer of the Year which is a huge distinction considering that this is the Eisner Awards and that Will Eisner was not only a prolific illustrator, artist, and writer, and it was nice to see him get recognized. His output this year was absolutely jaw-dropping in that department. He had five works that he got recognized for, and that led to him winning Writer of the Year. In addition to that, the other noted award winners, you had a series of nominations happen for Best New Series, Gideon Falls by Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino from Image Comics. So Image representing there for Best New Series have to say they have truly embraced their leader status now, particularly with Vertigo being phased out basically by DC. 
Vertigo got phased out a little while back, got phased back in, and then got phased out again. And essentially, that is the death knell with respect to original content coming out of DC. Marvel gave up on that long ago. And what I mean by this, folks, is new characters, new franchises. They're going to, the big two this is, in, I believe, focus in on legacy characters, but with new stories and new writers and new voices. But nonetheless, legacy intellectual property. New story writing, new illustrations, but not a whole lot of new characters being developed there in series. When DC Vertigo loosened up the restrictions on their writers and artists, that they could then go and shop their original content to independents, that essentially led to what we currently now have today. And of the two big independents, you essentially have Dark Horse and Image leading the way. And I believe this Best New Series Eisner Award is another indication of that. Matter of fact, what was interesting, under the entire Best New Series category, it was all image-branded, created works. That's just absolutely breathtaking. Breathtaking. Limited series run. Tom King won again. Mr. Miracle for DC. Tom King's run over there with Mitch Jareds. That one got lauded quite a bit. And again, winning best, best limited series. Best continuing series. And here we're going over to Boom Studios. Giant Days got recognized by John Allison, Maxarin, and Jula Madrigal. Again, Tom King was nominated in that category, too, for Batman and his run there. And I know we have a lot of big Batman fans within the Kirby's Kids community. So that's good to see that that iconic character is getting his due. Now, still, best humor publication, uh, Giant Days, again, uh, hitting it. Boom Studios. Mad Magazine got a last hurrah there. Of course, that's very sad that Mad Magazine will be ceasing publication. Um, Best Anthology. That was an interesting category. Uh, Puerto Puerto Rico Strong. And that one focusing in on rebuilding, having a socio-political tone to it. You had some good entrance within the best reality-based work. Graphic uh, album, uh, reprint, The Vision. Hardcover by Tom King, again. Prolific output here. Gabriel Hernandez. The other recognized folks of note. And again, I mentioned Tom King, but I want to go over his output for this year. Batman, Mr. Miracle, Heroes in Crisis, Swamp Thing Winter Special. That's what landed him Best Writer. Over on the writer-artist category, so doing it all, Jen Wang for The Prince and the Dressmaker. Matter of fact, Prince and the Dressmaker got an awful lot of recognition in nominations this year. Best Penciler Inker or Penciler Inker Team, Mitch Jareds on Mr. Miracle. Again, receiving a lot of attention there. Best Painter Multimedia Artist for Interior Art, Dustin Wynn. 
for Descender, an image comic. Best cover artist for multiple covers went to Jen Bartell, Blackbird for image, and Submerged for Vault. Best coloring, Matt Wilson for Black Cloud, Paper Girls, The Wicked plus The Divine, The Mighty Thor, and Runaway. So an interesting mix there from Matt of image, properties, and Marvel. So that's a little overview there of the Eisner Awards. Let me go ahead and focus in on a unique experience that I had today. I chose to call this particular report Comic-Con 50 on the Fringe. Not actually going into the con, but partaking in a quality experience of the con, but from the outside. There were so many supporting events, pop-up events that were happening all throughout the city. I chose to visit the San Diego Comic-Con Museum in Balboa Park. This is a godsend for a San Diegan like me who loves comics, but wants the accessibility to see and learn and experience comic books, comic book culture all year round. This museum will provide that. This museum also will have rotating exhibits throughout the year, constantly switching up the content within the museum. This used to be the Breitbart Museum here in San Diego, the Sports Museum, which is now being converted into the San Diego Comic-Con Museum that will be available to the public all year round. Another anchor for our Balboa Park and the surrounding museums there. We have an Air and Space Museum, a Natural History Museum, the you know, world-renowned San Diego Zoo is down there. It's just a spectacular, beautiful area. The Comic-Con Museum had a huge fundraiser kickoff to start Comic-Con this year, and it being the 50th. And it centered around the 80th year of Batman and celebrating Batman, the Batman experience. They had Luminary show up, big fundraiser. He had to pay big money to get into that one. But Comic-Con did a very smart thing. After that fundraiser on opening night, preview night, so I guess it was Wednesday night, for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they opened up the museum for free to the public. All you had to do was queue up in, in line, and they went ahead and metered people through so they didn't overcrowd the museum. And you could go in and experience items from the DC vault, the archives. Not only comics, but also props, costumes from all of the Batman films that have been done. In addition, poster art covers done by the original artists of absolutely milestone, iconic events happening throughout Batman's 80-year legacy. There was an ongoing looping video. Great interview with both Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, who after the 1960s Batman television series really resurrected the character in the comic books and kept that character running. So then it would eventually then get handed off to Frank Miller. So Frank Miller could do 
the Dark Knight. And now we still have viable writers and artists giving us new and exciting Batman stories. There was a section of this exhibit that was the Batcave, completely decked out into the Batcave. And in the Batcave, it was dedicated towards gaming. Warner Brothers and DC recognized the power of the computer gaming community and how much the evolution of their Dark Knight character has made an impact on that community. So all of the Batman games were there from the entire Arkham series and Dark Knight series of online action games to even the Lego Batman stuff. Down in that Batcave was a mock-up of the Christian Bale sector of the cave. You had essentially the Bat computer there where Michael Caine's character of, of Alfred and the Christian Bale Batman would be down there taking a look at stuff. That was cool. So the actual prop from the movie. In addition to that, you had the bat case that would open up and was clear where the actual Batman suit was along with all of the weapons and devices he could choose from based on who he thought he was going up against from the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, and Batman Begins movies. Coming out of the Batcave, and this was on the ground floor, the lo- actually the lower floor. Coming out of the Batcave, you then wandered into a fun, interactive, retrospective area, really paying tribute to the 1960s uh, Batman, where very fun uh, activity was a huge punching bag and you would hit the bag and pow or whop or all of the cool action expletives from the campy 1960s Batman television series would come flashing up on big screens and you know pow 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 and the music and all that stuff and kids were loving that and laughing and fun and right opposite that was just a lined wall of 1960s era but fully restored Batman pinball machines. That was cool from a nostalgic perspective to see that. As you were ascending back up the stairs, over to the left was the display of, I believe, the DC collectibles. And I don't know if they did this in conjunction with Tom McFarlane or not, but DC collectibles, black and white, models by year, so 80 of these, of the Dark Knight in all of Batman's different iterations. Sculpts. Just very, very cool. Beautiful stuff. So entering up onto the main floor as you first came into the museum, there was a huge archway that said Arkham Asylum on it. You walk through there and you see this main stage area. There were panels that were happening all throughout Comic-Con there at the museum about Batman, Batman's cultural impact, writers, artists, you name it. Very, very cool. But like I said, there was this streaming video constantly going on when a panel wasn't happening where you got to listen to both Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams discuss the history of Batman. Great, great stuff. I hope those new interviews then get packaged up and are made available for the general public here 
in celebration of Batman's 80th, it was great to hear them tell the tale of how they started to resurrect the interest of the Batman comic book character coming out of the campy 60s into that Bronze Age of the 70s. Then over to the left was a fantastic display of costumes from not only Batman throughout cinema, but then on the other side of that, the Gotham television series. So you got to see Riddler's costume, Penguin's costume, Batman, Alfred. On the other side, we had every one of Batman's costumes. So every so the ones that Keaton wore, that Val Kelmer wore, that George Clooney wore. You had the Robin, uh, the Chris O'Donnell Robin costume there. Poison Ivy's costume, Uma Thurman. You had Mr. Freeze for thank you Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger's costume there. That was pretty cool. Then you moved into a section where all of a sudden there is this huge rubber duck boat. And that was from none other than Batman Returns, Danny DeVito's Penguin character's main mode of transportation down there in the lower depths of the sewers of Gotham. Moving over, you then got to see props from the movies. The Riddler's props, Mr. Freeze's props, guns, all that good stuff. All of the various different Batarangs from all the Batman eras, they had a display there. You also had a display of seminal comic book or graphic novel runs on Batman. Originals there, behind a case. Absolutely gorgeous to see those, though, throughout the entire history. There was an entire gallery of cover art that was done from all of the important Batman issues of the day. Not only modern graphic novels such as Long Halloween, Hush, and you name it, but Batman number one, every you know, Death in the Family, you know, Death of Robin, all that good stuff was all there on full display. There were two Batmobiles there. Batmobile from the Michael Keaton era, and then also another Batmobile that was there from I believe it was the Clooney. Batmobile. So there were two Batmobiles on display. The Bat Signal was there too, and that was cool to see, the one that had been used in the films. Just a very top notch experience for any Batman fan. Now, there was a exclusive track that you could take, and this didn't cost any money, but it did take a heck of a lot of time. They had a Batman virtual reality experience that you could take essentially what it was folks is if you have ever gone to any of those indoor skydiving establishments and put on that suit and hopped in there that's what this thing was except they put a helmet cowl on you that completely blacked you out and had a virtual reality video playing there in the shield of that cowl so there you are essentially doing that skydiving have that turbine thing have you up floating weight weightless and 
this virtual reality uh, is playing out and you are essentially flying through Gotham, gliding through Gotham. Imagine the Batcave fully deployed and you are gliding through there and running into the rogues gallery of Batman. So there's an awfully long line for doing that. I got to watch some of that from a distance. There was no way I was going to wait that long. I wanted to get into the museum, see the comics, delve into the comic book history that I so love and value here. So that was my Comic-Con experience, which I wanted to share with you for this Comic-Con number 50 in 2019. So we would love to hear from you. We will be posting post-Comic-Con news throughout the course of the week in our community over at MeWe. Please drop us a line at kirbyskidspodcast at gmail.com or better yet, join the community, join the discussions, or send an email, send a voicemail. You can find us on the Anchor app. Send that message. We would love to hear your impressions of where you think your comic book characters are doing well in print, where you would like to see them go, either up on the big screen or the small screen. That's it from Comic-Con 50 in San Diego. Thank you.